I think some of us have kind of forgotten. There's a trumpet about to sound. And the clouds are going to part. And Jesus will come back. And the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. And so shall we forever be with the Lord. This is not a fairy tale. It's as sure as a nose stuck on the front of your face. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. So lift your voice. This is the year of jubilee. Amen. Freedom to the captives. Deliverance to the bound and the oppressed. Recovering of sight to the blind. This is it. Amen. All righty. There's some things I want to share with you tonight, but you've got to make me a promise. Do you remember what it is? Yeah. Stay standing on the inside. All right, please go ahead and be seated just for a few minutes. It's nice to see everybody. Acts chapter 2, turn over there if you would, please. Because there's no God like Jehovah. This is something that mop my sweaty brow. Thank you. All right. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. Who said it? God. Was he lying? No. Did he know what he was talking about? Yes. Do you think he'll do it? Yes. Yeah. Shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I. Who's gonna do the who's gonna do this? God, God said it. God's gonna do it. I will pour out my spirit. Whose spirit is he pouring out? So God said that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Who's that? It's everybody. So God said that he would pour out his spirit on everyone. Do you think it's going to happen? Oh, yes. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word, that'll endure forever. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. I do not care who says this is not going to happen. The day of miracles has passed. Revivals are over. God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I don't believe this is the spirit in which he intended, but you can almost sort of picture God saying, look, I'm sick of what you're doing. Let me just take care of it. I'll pour out my spirit. Fine. You don't want it, I'll do it. I don't think that's quite the spirit in which he's intending it, but it could be taken that way, and it would be true. There comes these moments in time, you've got to understand, where God just sort of steps in and takes over. Did you wear your shouting shoes and your shouting socks? Okay. Now, help me some theologians, a little more theological than me, but there there was a guy in the Bible that was fighting a battle. I think it was Joshua. And he was looking down, and there was this warrior in the middle of the battlefield holding his sword up high. Do you all know this story? Oh, this is awful. None of us know it. Well, let me tell you. There was this guy standing in the middle of the field with his sword held high. And Joshua was trying to figure out whose side he was on and who he was fighting for. You remember this story now? He was trying to figure out whose side this warrior was on and who he was fighting for. And Joshua said, and I couldn't figure out whose side he was on. The reason is this. This warrior represented Christ. And you've got to understand, when Jesus Christ steps onto a, a battlefield, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Huh? When God steps into a battlefield, he doesn't come to take sides. He's come to take over. God's not looking to take sides in coming, Georgia. He's come to take over. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Mountains will melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Amen? This is good news because you can trust him. You can trust him. Should come to pass in the last days, says God. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
We made a lot of that. I don't think that necessarily means that there's a cutoff age and at about 55 you stop seeing visions and you start dreaming dreams because most of the day you're asleep anyway. I don't think that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about retirement. It's just saying, look, there's going to be dreams. There's going to be visions, sons, daughters, young, old, servants, handmaidens. I'm just going to do this on everybody. We nitpick about the wrong thing. No, God's just saying, get ready. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. There are signs and wonders that God has reserved for the last days. Different people have had visions of rooms in heaven with body parts. Knees that have been replaced, being replaced by God. Legs that aren't there, growing out and appearing. Say, oh, I don't know about that sort of thing. Well, can I say with respect and with a twinkle in my eye, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. It's everywhere. The maimed were made whole. Do you know what maimed means? Maimed means got bits missing. That's what it means. Literally, that's what, well, that's not, the, that's not the Latin, but that's what maimed means. It means you got bits missing. The maimed are made whole. They got their bits back. <laughs> that could go really wrong, but you know what I mean. The missing bits. All right, moving on. Signs, and, and the only signs we have in our churches are the exit signs above the door. The only miracle is if we can stay awake throughout the sermon. The only wonder is, will anybody come back next week? But God speaks of a day where that will change. And the catalyst, the spark, the, the moment this happens is when he pours out his spirit. So it will behoove us to get particularly ready for that moment. Amen? Because the Bible declares this, for my people shall be willing in the day of my power. It's both a declaration and information. Declaration, God's saying, I know them, my people, they'll be ready. But it's also information. People, get ready. This is why God sent Elijah. This is why God sent John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Lord is prepared for the people. Are the people prepared for the Lord? The Lord is ready for us. Are we ready for him? Amen? Amen. Well, that's what these meetings are about, at least in part. Years ago, Angela and I were in a meeting in Tyler, Texas, and it was, um, it was in a, a mostly unfinished building that was supposed to be finished in time for the meeting, but it wasn't. And so there was a back flappy curtain thing on the back window, back wall, and this is a 2,000-seat auditorium, so it was a big flappy curtain. Big curtain in the back. They brought in these air conditioners to try and cool it down a bit in a temporary stage and whatnot. And um, the team from Brownsville were coming. This was when the Brownsville revival was in its full, full swing. And Steve Hill was supposed to be speaking, or, or the pastor, one of the two, was supposed to be speaking for one of the night meetings, and they lost their voice, or something had gone wrong, and they weren't able to do it. And so this one particular evangelist filled in. And this guy just, well, he's a, he's a, a different kind of piece of work, really, to be honest with you. I'm trying to be as polite as I possibly can, so we'll leave it at that. But he just has this knack of rubbing people the wrong way. And so he was up there preaching, rubbing people the wrong way. And so it got to the end, and with a great sweeping wave of his arms, he gave the altar call. You know, whoever wants to come and be saved tonight, run to the altar. And everyone just sat there. And it was awful, absolutely awful. And Angela and I had a pretty good bird's eye view. We were sitting in about the second row back over there. And up on the platform, there was a row of, of people, a couple of rows of people sitting there. And one of them was this guy's daughter. And when this moment came that the whole meeting, to all intents and purposes, fell flat like a pancake, she dropped to her knees, second or third row back there. A few people could see her, but she didn't make a big noise, didn't make a big spectacle. She dropped to her knees, and we could see her. She began to cry out, oh, God. And it wasn't, it wasn't loud, although if you were close enough, you could hear her. She wasn't putting on a show, but you could see this woman was interceding. I mean, just, it was, it was something that gripped her heart. She fell to her knees. There was this awkward silence for about 10 seconds or so, which felt like an eternity. When all of a sudden, everything in that building slash tent changed, and hundreds of people suddenly ran to the front. I mean, hundreds. What happened? The Holy Spirit came. 
That's what happened. That was the only thing that changed. The Holy Spirit came. And when He comes and begins to reign, people just know where to go. Like the animals going to the ark. Noah didn't lasso them. They just knew where to come when it was raining. So it is with the lost and the broken and the hurting and those that are bound and those that are in darkness. When the rain comes, people just know where to go. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God drawing them. We need some Holy Spirit moments. Call me old-fashioned, but I want a, a no-holds-barred, all-out, drug-out move of God. I want sweat. I want spinning. I want dancing. I want joy. I want weeping. I want healing and salvation and deliverance and long meetings and short sleep. And <coughs> I love all that. If we had some dust, we could spray it on the floor and call it a camp meeting. <coughs> I'll never forget the first time I saw a holy roller. And I don't mean a wannabe, I mean a real one. And I'd heard the expression, I always assumed it was an expression. But I was, I was watching Kenneth Hagin pray for this guy. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I swallowed a fly. And as he prayed for him, this man, as, rather than just falling back gracefully into the arms of a waiting usher, he began to spin as he went down. All the way down, he's spinning. Uh, which was weird enough to me, but then he hits the floor and carries on spinning. <laughs> and you could do it going downhill, you can do it for a little bit. But this, and, and the, the building it was in is huge, huge. If you haven't been to Raymond, it's a big building. And this guy was prayed for around about this equivalent section of the building. He goes rolling and rolling. And I mean, at a, at a fast walk, and I'm not going to have anyone demonstrate, but he was, he was rolling about this speed along the floor. And you, I'm watching him, and your eyes are getting bigger, and you think, am I really seeing this? And then he sort of goes in in an arc and then comes up against the wall. And you would think that would be where he would stop, but he just carried on spinning (laughs) against the wall. And I mean, it's kind of funny, but I remember thinking to myself, he's going to get friction burn on his nose because he's (laughs) hitting the floor and the wall. And I presume the Lord thought the same thing, so he just spun him back. And so, (laughs) this guy comes back across the room. And and it's that sign, I wonder what that is. That must be a sign. That's what a sign and a wonder is. And you're thinking... Did I just see that? I'll never forget, I was uh, probably 11 or 12 years old. And the evangelist that I kind of trained under, he would let me stand right next to him when he was praying for the sick. And there was a guy in this meeting, it was in a hotel not too far outside of London. And this guy had a short leg. And I don't mean pretend short, I mean it was probably at least this short. He had a big built up boot platform type thing. And, and he, even with that he kind of walked with a hobble. And so the evangelist made him take his boot off and his leg is like I said, at least this short. And he's sitting up there on this chair and his leg's like this. And all of a sudden, and it wasn't, it wasn't twisted, it wasn't bent, it was perfectly straight, it looked fine. If it hadn't been next to a longer leg, you'd have thought there was nothing wrong with it. It was just this short. And the evangelist begins to pray and he grabs hold of that leg and says, Leg, I command you, grow in the name of Jesus. And I watched as this thing just went... Sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. What I mean by that is this. God can do things in a twinkling of an eye, and then God can do things so you can see it. That time I saw it. I was in a meeting years later with T.L. Osborne, and there was a person with a similarly short leg, not quite as short, but almost as short, and he started to pray for him, and he's holding his legs like this, really, and the next thing you know, he's holding his legs like that. And I was close enough to see, and they say the hand moves faster than the eye, but you never heard anyone say the leg grows faster than the eye. But like that, it was, it was faster than a, a blink of an eye, and his leg just is longer. And you, you didn't see it happen. You just know because you were watching it. Moments before it was this short, and now it's perfectly length. And you think, did I black out? Did, you know, what happened? Where did that go? That's what will happen like when we're changed. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. So think about it, my friend. How many born-again believers do you think there will be when Jesus comes back? Well, anyone know how many are there now? About a billion? Two billion, maybe? Does anyone know? Well, a lot. Let's be conservative and say a billion. So a minimum of a billion people will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. 
So don't you think that God can't change you? Just one, if he can do a billion of us at once, what can he do with one of us? So John, what are you doing? About? I'm just, we need to remind ourselves a little bit whose we are and, and who we're serving. And that it really is a greater one that lives on the inside of us. It's time to release the Holy Spirit back in the church again. We will be amazed at what he does, how he does it, how quickly he does it. He is the master at building churches. He is the master at getting people saved. He came on the day of Pentecost and within three hours, 2,000, no, 3,000 people were born again within, within hours. Then Peter and John in the afternoon went to the beautiful gate of the temple. Think about this for a minute. They stand up, they preach the message, 9 o'clock in the morning, probably 9.15 by the time they'd you know, gotten out of the upper room and started preaching, maybe 9.30. And so people looking at them said, oh, you're drunk. They must be because the way they're carrying on. Peter standing up with 11 said, these aren't drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. That means 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to repeat this prophecy we've just talked about, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about Jesus. He talks about repenting and believing and being born again. And then he said this, how many people want to be born again? And 3,000 were saved. 3,000 of them. That probably, his sermon, if you read it, it only takes about 10 minutes to read, even if he kind of was a little bit slower and whatnot. So say by 10 o'clock in the morning, 3,000 people have been saved. Now this all began at 9 o'clock. And so here it is now, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They probably finished praying for everybody and handing out the decision cards and getting emails and exchanging Facebook names and all that's gone on. And so here it is, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and Peter and John thought, man, we need, to, we need to do something about this. So they went to the temple to give thanks. They thought, my goodness, Jesus has done what he said he'd do. He sent the promise of his Father upon us. It's true, we really did receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon us. It's true, we're going to go in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We're going to take this to the uttermost part of the earth. So they went rushing to the temple to give God thanks and give God praise. When they get there, they see a man waiting for them. Well, not specifically waiting for them, waiting for anybody, asking for money. And this man was, theologians say, in his 40s and had never walked a day in his life. The Bible says he was lame from his mother's womb. And he looked at Peter and John walking into the temple and he asked them for money. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. And then they grabbed him by the hand and said this. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, question, how did they know what they had? Or how did they know they had something? Because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power. And guess what? They believed him. They didn't wait and say, sir, do you feel warm and fuzzy? Do you feel a heat? Is there a glow? They just said, what I have, I give you. My friend, two things. One, we've got to have something to give. And number two, once we've got it, we've got to know that we've got it. Amen? Amen. We don't know how many days later, but it wasn't that many days later. Another 5,000 people are born again, probably at the rate they were going the next day. 5,000, now, 8,120 people born again in just a matter of days. What sparked it? The Holy Spirit. Thank you, sir. You did a very good job. What will spark that today? The Holy Spirit. Does the Bible not say, for I am the Lord God, I don't change? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My friend, we are given this Bible so that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This Bible teaches us. You all heard the verse, the Lord moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform? Me too. I built a whole sermon around it once. This was before Google, before internet, before the whole thing. I was traveling. I think I was in Pennsylvania staying in the cheaper sleeper. It was awful. There was cockroaches and the bed was bumpy. I mean, horribly so. So I barely got any sleep. On the bright side, I was up early and I was praying. And I built this whole sermon around the Lord moves in mysterious ways. But my useless little concordance in the back of my Bible didn't have it. 
So when we got to church, the pastor says, anything you need before we start the service? I said, yes, I just need to borrow your Strong's Concordance for a minute or two. Sure, he said, showed me into the office, gave me the Strong's Concordance, and I sat down, and I was just going to fill in the verse. I couldn't find it under mysterious, couldn't find it under move, couldn't find it under wonders or perform, because, of course, I realized it's not in the Bible. It's a mother's verse. Up there with cleanliness is next to godliness. And the Lord helps those who help themselves. An idle mind is the devil's playground. And the Lord moves in mysterious ways as one is to perform. My friend, God does move in mysterious ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They are mysterious to us. But he's told us his wonders and exactly how he'll perform them. And he says, the way I'm going to save everybody is I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the first people affected by it are sons and daughters. That's children. I mean, children of God. I don't mean generationally. I mean, children of God. My sons and my daughters. My servants. My handmaidens. That's you and me. That's you and me. See, Christ in us is the hope of glory. When the glory first begins to stir, it stirs in you. And on a larger scale, if we can't experience the fire of God falling on a Sunday morning church service, it's never going to fall on the city. Amen? the glory of God doesn't roll down the center aisle of church, it's not going to roll through the streets of the city yet. So we say, God, we ask you to come in here and then break out of here. Because God falls in upper rooms. We've almost gotten embarrassed to say, but God likes coming to church. Can I be honest with you for a minute? He loves church. We've gotten so into what's church going to look like in the 21st century. What's it going to... And I understand all the terminology and I praise God for fresh thinking and out-of-the-box thinking and witty ideas and new concepts. All that's great. But God doesn't change in all of this. We might package Him a little bit. This pulpit would have looked really weird 50 years ago. They'd have thought there was something very unspiritual about it. My notes would have looked really weird a while ago. The fact you can scroll around in them and whatnot. That part changes, but God doesn't. And we need to be careful that the parts which are most important to Him, we leave to Him. We've got to give God room. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit some space. What does He like to do? He likes to fill people. You see it in the Bible. He does it time and time and time and time and time again. He loves doing it. It's one of his specialities. He's really good at it. He loves it. He knows it's effective. He knows it's powerful. He's not excited about dryness. He's excited about overflowing. When he anoints you with fresh oil, it flows out of you. We're not supposed to get by like the old brill cream with a little dab will do. Some of us are living on the smell of an oily rag. When there is fresh oil waiting for you and fresh oil waiting for me and some things that have gotten dry will will run and flow again. Amen? Amen. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to raise up a standard against him. That's the answer for this enemy we're facing. That's That's the answer. It's not politicians... It's not the European Monetary Fund. It's not Greece sorting out their debt problems. It's not the American dollar being stronger than the Canadian dollar. It's not a new TV program. It's not 4G on your Wi-Fi. The answer for the problems that we're facing is the Holy Spirit. And I know this is kind of old-fashioned, but it's not stale. I love what Reinhard Bonnke says. He says, we talk about fresh fire. He said, I've never met old fire. The Holy Spirit is still fresh. There's different degree, uh, temperatures of fire. You can go from red hot to white hot to blue hot. Is blue hot the hottest? We'll leave it at that because of my science. I wasn't listening that day. But it can get hotter. I know that. And the fire with us can kind of heat up. But my goodness, my friend, the Holy Spirit is as fresh as he was 2,000 years ago. He's as exciting as he was 2,000 years ago. He can still do in 2012 what he did in the day of Pentecost. He's just looking for someone somewhere with that kind of level of hunger. 
See, let me talk for a few minutes about the way the Holy Spirit moves and, and some of the things. The Bible talks about this. Let me see if I can find the verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Turn there if you would quickly, please. Did one okay? Yeah. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. It says this. For the invisible... This is the King James, and I'll read you another translation. For the invisible things of him... From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Another version says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. What does that mean? This means this. We're taught a lot of things about God, and about things that are unseen by the things he created and the things that we can't see. That's why he did all these things. And so there are some natural emblems that, we're, that are used to teach us things about the Holy Spirit that we can't see. For example, the Holy Spirit is described as being like a dove. He isn't a dove. He's God. But there are things about the dove. It's a universal symbol of peace. It's a very, very clean bird. It's a very gentle bird. It teaches us some things about the Holy Spirit. But one of the most powerful analogies when it comes to the Holy Spirit is water. And the way that he is likened to water in different circumstances and different situations. Water is one of the most important elements on earth for life. It cleanses, it sustains us, it refreshes us, as does the Holy Spirit. There's a cleansing, there's a, there's a refreshing, there's a sustaining, there's a washing that comes when the Holy Spirit comes over your life. Sometimes he moves on us like rain, he falls on us, he's with us, he's on us. But the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to water is described in three different ways. First one is this, a well. Everyone say a well. well. Second one is a river. Say a river. river. The third one is rain. Everyone say rain. rain. Turn to John chapter 4 if you will please. Let's just look at the word here for a few minutes and then I'll share some other thoughts. John chapter 4. And verse 1 through 14. And the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Sychar, however you say it. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How come you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Everyone who drinks shall be thirsty. Everyone who drinks this water, Jesus answered, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Jesus spoke of this well of water springing up like everlasting life. This, this working of the Holy Spirit in our life like a well begins at salvation. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. And this is where these wonderful things begin that you have no need for any man to teach you, but the anointing that you've received of him teaches you all things. This is where as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The leading of the Spirit comes at the moment you become a son of God. This is where you can go and drink and there's personal refreshing and, and revelation that comes from his word. This begins at salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes in you like a well. Now there's a limit to how many people can draw from a well or drink from that well at any one time. It's small, it's not the most convenient and not the most easy thing, but it's a fantastic source of water and refreshing for an individual to come and draw something to drink from. And this begins at salvation. Sadly, many, many people stop at this well experience of the Holy Spirit saying, I have all the Holy Spirit there is. 
If they say, I have the Holy Spirit, they're not lying. But if they say, I have all the Holy Spirit there is, then they're mistaken. Because it'd be no difference to this. If you go to California and you stand in the Pacific Ocean and you roll up your pants and you stand in it and you've taken off your shoes and socks and the water's kind of up around your shins and you're enjoying yourself in the Pacific Ocean. You could stand around and face everybody on the beach and yell with great gusto, I'm in the Pacific Ocean. And no one would call you a liar because it's true. Technically, you are in the Pacific. But there's a whole lot more Pacific than you're in. And so it is with the church and the Holy Spirit. We're in the glory. Yes, but there's a whole lot more glory than we're in. I'm in the river. Yes, but believe me, it can turn into Niagara Falls when you're not looking, so get ready. There's a well, number one. Number two is a river. Turn to John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7 and verse 38. Oh, verse 37. In that last, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man come, if any man thirst, excuse me, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. The well is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's for you. It's about you. It's about your relationship with God. It's about you getting to know God. And this well working of the Holy Spirit begins at salvation. The river is the work of the Holy Spirit through you. And this begins at the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, this is when the anointing of God begins to flow through you in a far greater way. This is when God begins to minister to others through your life in a way that you haven't experienced before. This is when the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate in a way that you've never imagined and never dreamed possible. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings healing and salvation and deliverance. This is what means that you can go into different environments and bring something with you. You've heard me talk about this before. But in Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel had a vision of a river. You remember this story? And the angel comes and he brings him to the river and it's to his ankles. And then he brings him through and it's to his knees and he brings him through. Eventually to it's a river that you can't touch the bottom. You can only swim in it. In other words, you're not controlling the river. The river's controlling you. And when the angel had showed him the extent of this river and the power of this river, he brought him back to the bank and he said, now look. And on the bank of the river were trees everywhere. Trees in the Bible represent people. And he taught Ezekiel about the path of this river. It comes from the throne of God. It goes through the desert. Desert in the Bible speaks of spiritual dryness. Places that should be full of God but aren't. That's why Israel many times in the Bible was described as being a desert. Yes, geographically it was barren, but it's talking about more than that. It's talking about people that should have been walking with God, but they were dry. Similarly, the church can be described as a desert when it should be full of the things of God and should be flowing in the anointing of God and it's now dry, we'd be described as a desert. But thankfully, God's love and God's mercy for us is never failing. And the first place the river comes after it leaves the throne is to the church. It goes through the church and out into the sea. Sea in the Bible speaks of unsaved multitudes. This is why the Bible says there'll be no sea in heaven. Doesn't mean there's not going to be waves and surfing and shamu and flipper. It means there's not going to be unsaved people in heaven. And it says this river that comes from the throne, through the church, bringing refreshing to the church, out into the sea, it says when it touches the sea, the waters shall be healed. And everything that lives and moves, wherever this river comes, shall live. Which makes no sense unless you understand there are two types of life. It's possible to be alive on the outside and dead on the inside. This is why Jesus said to a man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. He said, how can I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus said, no, you got to be born of the water, naturally, and of the spirit. So the Bible says when the river comes to those that are alive, born of the water, they will come to life, they'll be born of the spirit. Wherever the river goes shall live, and there'll be healing, the Bible says. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal passage of scripture. And it's sensational, but it's in the Old Testament. But here's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The river has not changed because the river is the Holy Spirit. But here's the difference. Under the Old Covenant, the man got in the river. Under the New Covenant, the river gets in the man. But it's still true. Everywhere the river goes shall live. 
This is the working of the Holy Spirit through you, and it comes at the baptism in the Spirit. Amen? You with me? So the well is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, for you. It comes at salvation. The river of, is the work of the Holy Spirit through you, for others, and it comes at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to the rain. Everyone say the rain. Turn to Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, if you will, please. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to everyone. Okay, that was way more exciting than your silence. Ah. Okay, let's start over. So the well is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Thank you. The river is the work of the Holy Spirit through you. The rain is the work of the Holy Spirit on everyone. The well begins at salvation. The river begins at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Rain begins at hunger. Begins at hunger. Rain is harder to get than other things. Fire is quite easy. Fire is for the church. Fire is for a specific place. Rain is harder. Rain's for everyone. Rain has more it has to break through. Fire is fairly easy. Fire falls on born-again people. The rain falls on everybody. This is why the same man that prayed once for fire had to pray seven times for rain. Getting a move of God in a church is quite easy. Getting it on everyone. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some hunger. It's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some longevity, some stick-to-itiveness. But it's worth it. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. The Bible says in Joel chapter 2, verse 23, be glad... Well, let's turn this. Sorry, I'm rushing. Joel chapter 2. I'll just rush. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former and the latter rain, in the first month. In other words, there's, a, there's an outpouring that would occur. Many people believe this was the outpouring on the day of Pentecost being described as the former rain. It says there will come a day where all that happened will happen again, but there'll come a stronger, a greater rain, and it will all come at once. In other words, it will be harder for people to stay dry, stay, get wet. No, it will be harder for people not to get wet than to get wet. People will have to make great efforts to get out of what God is doing. We won't have to get on an airplane and fly to Mobile or Pensacola or Toronto or Argentina or, or, or smuggle ourselves into China and visit the underground church or come to Gateway in Birmingham to experience this. I thought I'd throw that one in there. It's going to be everywhere. The Bible says a river that could not be passed over. In other words, you can't deny it's happening. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't kind of sweep the church under the rug. Amen. Amen. Why? Because when, when body parts are growing, yeah. when drug addicts are being set free, and when 3,000 people are getting born again a day, you can't sweep it under the rug. I'd love to see what some of these pundits are going to do with that. There'll be a lot more people sitting on airplanes when you get the hoity-toity guy saying, huh. Going, huh, back. If you weren't here this morning, you don't know what I'm talking about. But Why? Because the righteous are as bold as a lion. Rain changes things. This rain is what we would more traditionally think of as revival. This level of outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes when someone somewhere gets hungry for it. Amen. Do turn to Joel, if you will, please. I was Turn over to Joel. I want us to read a few verses here, and I'll close in a minute. Joel chapter 1 and verse 4. That which the palmer worm... It's describing a pretty wretched state of things. That which the palmer worm has left, the locust has eaten. That which the locust has left, the canker worm has eaten. That which the canker worm has left, the caterpillar has eaten. So they're not doing very well. We could say it this way. That which the television stole, <laughs> the radio took. That which the radio left, MTV sapped out. That which MTV didn't devour, the internet got. That which the internet didn't take, Facebook has stolen and 
and you're kind of left with no one praying, no one seeking God. And you could put it all kind of different ways. And, and that, which, that which cigarettes left, alcohol took. And that which alcohol left, drugs took. And that which drugs took, left, pornography got. And, and, and you can come all the... But what it's saying is this, is that a place that was fruitful and vibrant has been robbed from and robbed from and robbed from and robbed from until all that's left is a skeleton of what it used to be. So what should we do? Should we say, oh, I feel so sorry for myself. Times are tough. Price of gas is high. Never been higher. We need a new president. <laughs> we need a new Congress. I need a new car. I need a new nose. <laughs> Whatever else we think we need that's new. And that will fix. No, don't feel sorry for ourselves. Amen. Says, awake, you drunkards, and weep. How are you drinkers of wine? Because of the new wine, for it's cut off from your mouth. Says, yeah, you still got all the stuff you can generate, but the new wine isn't there. We have got more stuff that we have generated as a society than my grandparents would have ever dreamed possible. But we don't have the new wine. That's taps being turned off. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion and have the cheek of a great lion. They have laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree and has made it completely bare and cast it away. The branches of it are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of your youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord ministers, mourn. For the field is wasted. That's speaking of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. But it's wasted. No one's gathering it. Think about it. The harvest in this region is plentiful. Who's gathering it? The land is mourning. Who's answering that cry? The corn is wasted. Again, speaking of the harvest. The new wine is dried up. The new wine speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The oil languishes. The oil speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit through your life. The anointing. So it's saying there's no harvest... The church isn't full of the Holy Spirit. There's no anointing touching anybody. Be ashamed, O you husbandmen. Howl, O you vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. Verse 13, gird yourselves and lament, you priests. How you, you're kind of getting the point here. We're not just supposed to sit back and say, well, it's the times we live in. Well, these young people, they've just got no respect. Well... No one even comes to the house of the Lord anymore. They don't even wear ties in church on the Sunday night service. Back in my day, and we tut, tut, tut. King Tut is dead, my friend. Let's move on. <laughs> cry out. We're supposed to have a response in us. And it's a cry of hunger. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. In Zion. Can I be honest? There's too many people harping on about the sinners right now. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're sinning just fine. They are fulfilling their part. They are sitting in darkness waiting for a great light. Don't worry about the darkness. Worry about the light. I mean it. Keith Green put it this way. He said, the world is asleep in the dark and the church is asleep in the light. That's why the Bible says, awake. First thing, wake up, wake up. Smell the coffee. Realize what's going on. We've been lulled. We've been duped into thinking that everything is fine. Come and look at my beautiful garments, not realizing we've got nothing. And sometimes it takes a little kid to come along and say, <clears throat> excuse me, you're naked. <laughs> not a stitch. <laughs> Maybe I'm that little kid today. Maybe we're those little kids. I need to rise up and say, come on, church. Yeah. I'm not talking about come a new life or freedom tabernacle or gateway per se. Although, let us who is without sin throw the first stone. There's a whole lot of room for my hunger to grow. But what I'm talking about, the church of which we are part. Yes. My friend, there is no good judging our fire by the lack of fire of someone else. Right. This is a mistake the prodigal brother made. He judged his goodness by the badness of his brother. Well, we not, might not be all we're supposed to be, but we're doing better than they're doing. That's not your standard. 
That's not my standard. My standard is not the goodness or the badness of the person up the road. Amen? There's a fire that's supposed to burn in me. There's a hunger that's supposed to burn in me. And there's a, there's a passion that needs to rise because what we are, what we do not take, there are things that we are to be responsible for that are not our fault. I heard this story the other day. A guy was talking about his son and his friend were playing baseball in the front yard. They weren't supposed to play in the front yard. They were supposed to play in the backyard. But there's more trees in the backyard, so they like playing in the front. They've been told not to. They weren't supposed to do it. The dad has said many times, don't play out there. But this kid threw the baseball at his son, and his son took an almighty great swing, let that thing fly, and it went sailing across their yard, sailing across the neighbor's yard, and went smash right through the front window at their neighbor's house, laying in a, a, a cot thing, a travel cot, underneath that window was this neighbor's baby, six months old, sound asleep. The glass shattered all around this baby. Thankfully, the baby wasn't heard. So you can imagine when the dad got home from work, the baby's dad got home from work, he was pretty hot under the collar. And he came over and he knocked on the door of this man that was telling the story and said, your son hit a baseball through the window, almost killed my child. And the guy said, that wasn't the moment to say, not my fault. There are things that we are to be responsible for that are not our fault. My friends, we are to be responsible. Like Daniel, was it, crying out for his nation. Oh God, we have sinned. He was one of the few righteous people there. And God said, and I've heard your cry. He didn't come down and say, no, they're there. You're getting a little carried away. Don't, it, it's them. It's them. You're fine. You and me, we're tight. No, God said, I've heard your cry. I've seen the affliction. And I've come to answer your prayer. There are things that we're to be responsible for that are not our fault. You might be perfectly on fire. This church might be perfectly on fire. But we have a responsibility to stand in the gap for the body of Christ worldwide and say, God, we need some new wine. God, we need some fire. We need some passion. Amen? So what are we supposed to do? Verse 12, chapter 2. Therefore also now, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments. And turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and will turn of the evil. Who knows if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him? Well, we know that he will, actually, because we've seen him do it time and time again. Even a meat offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Verse 17. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, cry out between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Don't give your heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over us. Why are they saying in this land, where is God? Then the Lord will be jealous for his Land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and will say, I will send you corn, I will send you wine, I will send you oil, and you shall be satisfied with it. Everyone say satisfied. satisfied. Is there anybody in here that is satisfied with the level of anointing that we're experiencing right now? No. Is there anybody in here that's saying, you know what, we've got a little too much power, God, can you hold it back a bit? No. We're excited if we can heal a headache. But Jesus spoke of raising the dead. What's our, what are we supposed to do? Hunger. What does all this boil down to? What causes us to get out of our seat and come between the porch and the altar and cry out? What causes us to leave our food? What causes us to leave our sleep? What causes people on their honeymoon to come back from their honeymoon to pray? One thing and one thing only. Hunger. Yeah. It's not discipline. It's not condemnation. You can't make people do it. You can't crank it up. You can't hype it up. Hunger is the one thing. This is why John G. Lake said, if there's one gift I could give a man, it would be hunger for God. Benny Hinn said, everything we receive from God begins with hunger. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a hunger that needs to rise up in us. It says, God, I want the well I want the river, and I want the rain. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I'm not holding back from saying it. God, 
I want it. Now, I'm desperate for it. Lord, I'm not playing games. The rain does not begin at perfection. The rain does not begin at a state of spiritual utopia. The rain does not begin when you've got all your ducks in a line and everything's convenient. The rain begins when we get hungry. And it starts to fall on everyone. Remember the thing I was talking about this morning about the way the move of God is like that bomb that drops in one place, but there's a mushroom cloud. And it affects everything. What God wants to do in these days, I believe, will affect everything and everyone. This is why the motto of our church is passion gathers here. Passion gathers here. I don't want to go to a church because it's convenient. I don't want to go to a church because I walk to it. I want to go to a church because it's passionate. I want to go to a church because it's full of people who, like me, are hungry. Hungry for the things of God and hungry for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this rain that we're talking about, it's the season where people begin flocking to Christ. This is what's going on in Africa. It's raining. It's raining in the Spirit. This is why Reinhard Bonnke has millions of people born again in his meetings. He was at our... uh, in our city a few months ago, and he was saying this. He said, people used to ask him in the early days, Reinhard, why does no one come to your meetings? And he'd say, I don't know. I don't know why no one comes. And he'd preach his heart out, and there'd be seven people there. And none of them would come back the next day. He said, today there's millions of people that come. And everyone says, Reinhard, why do all the people come to your meetings? He says, I tell him, I don't know. <laughs> Preaching the same as I did when no one came. What changed? It started raining. It started raining. This is why I believe God is sending Africans all over the world. The biggest churches in the world today, most of them anyway, are pastored by Africans. Why? Because they've experienced the rain. They know what it looks like. They know what it feels like. Nigerians are shaking Europe at the moment because there's a hunger. And they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And that's just for warm-up. I had the privilege of speaking a few years ago at a Nigerian prayer meeting called the Festival of Life in London. And there was, at, at when I, it starts at 10 o'clock at night, well, it's supposed to, Nigerian time. So it starts at midnight and goes till about 6 or 7 in the morning. That's when it's supposed to stop, but it goes till about 10 o'clock because they won't leave. This passion to pray. All the leaders have left and gone off and gone home and, and people are still praying. By the, and when I spoke between 1 o'clock and 2.30 in the morning, there was about 12,000 people and they were still all coming in. And I said, okay, let's pray. And I was expecting to have to take a few minutes to get everybody going. No sooner had the words come out of my mouth, I was going to ask people a specific thing to pray about. No way. They were so loud. There was no way I was going to get out. I mean, the speakers could not be loud enough to compete. How they talk about in Dr. Youngie Cho's church, where they'd have to ring a bell to get the people to stop praying because you couldn't, you couldn't hear over the shouting. So ding, ling, 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 ling. Everyone stop and say, what's next? He'd say, we're going to pray about this next. Pow, off they'd go. <laughs> and we wonder why his church has a million people. Do you know they lost? They lost 200,000 members a little while ago and still had 900,000 people in their church. If I lost 200,000 members, <laughs> we'd be in the right trouble. Could you imagine? I was listening to this pastor. I forget his name. If I thought about it really hard, I could remember it. But he was at a church uh, growth summit thingy in America. And there was the general sessions, and then there were sessions divided up. And it was for people whose churches were zero to 100 100 to 300, 300 to uh, 600, 600 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,000, 2,000 to 10,000, 10,000 to 20,000. And there was one, 20,000 to 100,000. And he was walking past. He thought, that's ridiculous. Or it was something like 50,000 to 100,000. And he was walking and thought, that's ridiculous, you know. He thought, surely just someone's having a joke. Some kid has come along and seen all that, and they put 50,000 to 100,000. So he opened the door. And he looked in there, and he said there was about 25 pastors in there. And he said he got so excited, but then he realized, these were his words, but I'll expand a little bit. He said, but not one of them was American. Not one of them was European either. Do you know where they were from? Africa, India. Why? 
because they are hungry. My brother just got back from his first trip to India. He pastors a church in England. He said, John, I've never seen hunger like it. Anyone that comes back from these places says, I've never seen hunger. People walk for days to come to the meetings. Not because T.D. Jakes is there. For whoever's there. They pray for hour after hour after hour. Why? Hunger. There's something about hunger that touches the heart of God. But here's the strange thing about hunger, and I'll close with this. If you don't eat for a while, you lose it. Ironically. You would think the less you eat, the hungrier you'd be. Well, that works for a few days. But if you keep starving yourself, you actually get to the point where you don't desire food at all. And you can get to the point where just a cucumber or so a day and you're, you're happy as a clam. The less you eat, the less you want to eat to the point you can switch off that desire altogether. And the only way to rekindle that hunger is to start eating even when you don't feel like it. Amen? Amen. When you, if you fasted for any period of time, over 10 days, and the morning comes, and you think for days I'm going to be so excited to eat, and then the morning comes, you think, I can't even be bothered. And here it is lunchtime. You haven't even had your whatever it is you're going to break it with. What's that round stuff with red? Th watermelon. You haven't even had your watermelon. And you thought you'd devout. Why? Your hunger's gone. But you have a little bit of watermelon. And then you have some cantaloupe. And then you have some toast. And, and by the next day, man, you want Taco Bell. You're going to Pizza Hut. You have wings. Chocolate. You name it, you're having it. Why? Because you, you stirred it up. So it is with hunger for the things of God. That's why he said, look, guys, just taste and see. You'll quickly discover the Lord is good. Amen. The Lord is good. Just trust me. Taste and see. So it is with the Holy Spirit. And this is why mornings, like I said, I'm not going to wait for tonight. Let me start praying for people now. Is that the most powerful zap we'll have from the Holy Spirit all week? No. But let's get some hunger stirred. Let's get some passion going. So when we come back tonight, we're hungrier than we were this morning. Did you see how it worked already? Wait till tomorrow night. We'll be hungrier than we are tonight. By Wednesday, you will wake up in the morning thinking about the Holy Spirit all day long. You will. You'll be going to work. You'll be going to school. You'll be thinking about the Holy Spirit. You'll be driving in your car. Not because you set the timer so you can pray for 60 minutes that day. It's just going to come out of you like a river. I don't have to set my timer for breakfast. I just know. I know. I know when it's lunchtime too. I know when it's time for my Scooby snack at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm well aware when it's dinner time. So it can be in the spirit. You get to the point you're praying without ceasing. My, 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 my. The well begins at salvation. How many of you are born again? So we're all right for the well. The river begins at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Still doing good for the river. The rain begins at hunger. How many of you could say your hunger could turn up a notch or two? My both hands are up. If I wouldn't fall over, my feet would be in the air too. But hungry people will change a nation. When God sent us to England, to Europe, He didn't send us there to be professional, to turn up with enticing words of man's wisdom. We've, we are coming in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Your calling here is not to have enticing words and demonstrate your wisdom. What will change this county and this city is the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. So speaking specifically of the river, but I believe it has to do with anything to do with the Holy Spirit. On that great last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out saying, Hey, is anybody thirsty? We'd say, thirsty for what, Jesus? No, he wasn't interested in being specific. He was just looking. Is anybody thirsty? Well, I want to know if it applies to me. No, just are you thirsty? That's all he was asking. Is there hunger? Is there thirst? Why? Because that's all he needs for him to be able to fill you. He said, if you're thirsty, then come to me and drink. And the water that I give you is going to flow out of you like a river. 
And he said, and I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take us on a journey back 2,000 years to our last beautiful great day of the feast. And pretend it's Jesus for a minute saying, hey, guys, anyone thirsty? Anyone thirsty? Jesus said, well, then come on. Come to me and drink. Well, come on up here quickly. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but I'm not the he that he, or the me that he said come to. Come to him and drink. Come on. Lord Jesus, we're hungry. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're desperate. We're longing. Come on, the Bible talks about the way that we pray. It talks about weeping and crying out and howling and lamenting and, and passion. 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 You can't howl quietly. You can't cry out. There's a moment for, for silent reflection, but there's a moment to cry out and say, God. God. Lord Jesus. Come on, pray for a minute, pray for a minute.